If you have your Bible, please turn with me to 2 Samuel 13. 2 Samuel 13, you can find this on page 246 of the Black Bible that is under the seat in front of you. Uh, we've been working through First and Second Samuel, and the past few weeks we've been on some pretty dark passages. Uh, it's been a kind of a tough, uh, tough sledding lately as we've looked at David's sin and the sin as it infects the whole family. Well, today uh, we have one of probably the hardest passage of all the ones we're going to cover. Um, if you read the email this week, I sent a special note to you to kind of give you a fair warning so that you could read ahead. Uh, quite honestly, this story is, is actually just hard to read out loud, and so uh, let alone talk about. And so we're going to be dealing with some heavy topics today. Uh, I, I uh, didn't want to skip it. Uh, even the part of me that did want to skip it uh, is glad that we didn't because I, I think these things must be talked about. It's in the Bible for a reason. So many are hurting because of these issues in their lives, and so we will address that as best we can. As we read, I would ask you to pray for me as well as yourself as we wade into these difficult waters today. Let's hear God's word. Now, Absalom, uh, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a crafty man. And he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat, and prepare the food in my sight, that I may see it and eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight, that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, where he was lying down. And she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, Send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into my chamber that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes and, that she had made and brought them into the cham chamber to Amnon her brother. But when she brought them near to him to eat... He took hold of her hand and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. She answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her. And being stronger than she, 
he violated her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he had hated which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up, go. But she said to him, No, my brother, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. He called the young man who served him and said, Put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. And she laid her hand on her head and went away, crying aloud as she went. And her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon your brother been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God endures forever. Amen. It's very difficult to read that story. But to help us think about it, I want you to picture this image. When you throw a stone into a pool of water, what happens? Splash. It sinks. It immediately begins to sink. You immediately don't see it anymore. And then what happens on the surface of the water? Ripples, and those ripples begin at the moment, at the point where the, the rock went in, but it doesn't stop there. The ripples go one to the other to the other, all the way out to the end of the pool. Uh, in fact, this is a good image to get in your mind about this passage. Even if you were to immediately reach into the water and grab the rock out and recover it before it sunk to the bottom, you've got the rock recovered. You cannot stop the ripples. That's what's going on here. We saw last week as David committed an awful sin before God. He was, he was grievous in his behavior. He himself had taken advantage of a woman and covered it up with murder. God sent Nathan the prophet and said, David, I'm going to forgive you because you've repented. I'm going to recover you like a stone from the flood. However, I will not erase all the ripples. The ripples are going to flow out of what you've done, and it's going to hurt not just you. It's going to hurt the members of your household, and it's going to hurt your whole kingdom, David. You're going to learn how serious and how terrible sin is. That's this story. Amnon adds his great sin to his father's sin, and they are not the only ones hurt. Everybody's hurt. Tamar, devastated by what Amnon chooses to do in his lust. This morning, here's the main point. I know this is hard to talk about, but it's something we've got to face. Sin does not just hurt the one who commits it. Sin hurts others in the pathway of, the, of what you choose to do. You cannot always control who gets hurt when you throw yourself like a rock into the water. And so let's look at the story together, the sobering topic, by considering three parts of the story. The first two are largely negative. The last one, we hope to get to something positive 
at the end. The first one is this. We're going to see the sinful heart that drove Amnon to this terrible deed. Then secondly, we're going to see the crafty destroyer that sin is and how sin just cannot be contained with hurting just one or two people. It's going to hurt many people. And then lastly, we're going to look at what should be the response. What response do we need to sin like this? What, what response does the world need? Unfortunately, in the story, we don't see the response. But because of the gaping hole that people leave, we can kind of make out the outlines of who might be able to step in that gap and help those who are hurting because of sin. So let's look, first of all, at the sinful heart. In verses 1 and 2, uh, we see the inner, inner workings of Amnon's mind and heart, which leads him to do the unthinkable. Uh, Amnon doesn't go from 0 to 60 without working 260 slowly in his heart. It tells us in verse 1 that Absalom, who was the half-brother of Amnon, Amnon's the oldest son of David of all the sons and daughters. He's the oldest. Absalom is right under him but has a different mother. And so Absalom's his half-brother. Absalom has a full sister named Tamar, so also Amnon's half-sister. And she was very beautiful. And it tells us that at some point, uh, Amnon began to notice the beauty of his sister. And instead of noticing it in a brotherly, in a sisterly way, he begins to notice it in a sinful way, in a lustful way. And then instead of telling those thoughts to stop and shutting those thoughts down, Amnon begins, Amnon begins to nurse the lust in his heart. In fact, it tells us in verse uh, 2, that Amnon was so tormented by his lusts that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar. Uh, he nursed this inner desire to the point where he made himself sick over it. This is the inner workings of sin. It, it, nobody can see it on the outside. In fact, on the outside at first, it may look no different than being good or being loving. In fact, I think in a very uh, facetious way, the writer of Scripture uses the word love in verse 1. Did you notice that? How it described it as Amnon, David's son, loved Tamar. Well, that's a loose use of the word love, is it not? And yet there's a reason for that. Because on the outside, it may have appeared that way, even though underneath there was this really dark, sinister purpose that Amnon was trying to hatch. Uh, we know it was sinister because it tells us that he was tormented not because he was looking for a way to bless Tamar or looking for a way to help her. Instead, it tells us he looked at her and she was a virgin and it seemed impossible to him to do anything to her. Now, this is gross, right? This is, this is the height of, of sinful grossness that he did not want to give and to share and to help his sister like a brother is supposed to do. Instead, he wanted to take. He wanted to do something to her. He wanted to use her for his own purposes and then throw her to the side. I want you all to notice this morning. Things may appear like love on the outside, but they may be lust on the inside. And one of the great points of wisdom that you need to learn about yourself and about others is how to tell the difference between the two. Uh, Jesus Christ in the Bible is the model of love. He's the model of love. And this is what it says about Christ. He came not to be served, but to serve those he loved, right? 
Uh, He came not to take from us. He came to give his life up for us. Uh, He came to uh, show the, the extent of his love by even dying sacrificially in the place of his loved ones. That's love. That's the gold standard in the definition. Lust is this. I will take at all costs what I want, no matter what it does to you and no matter what it does to anybody else. In fact, in the moment, I'm not even thinking about anything, anybody else. I'm thinking only about myself, so much so that I'm tormenting myself with the very thoughts. Now, isn't this dark? And yet there's a lesson here for every single one of us in the room. Uh, If there were an oil spill today in the Gulf of Mexico... Hopefully that doesn't happen. But if there were, what would you have to do? What would they have to do to fix it? Well, depends on how long it's been going, but there's going to be some cleanup, right? You're going to have to get out there and clean the ocean. You're going to have to figure out how to rehabilitate the water. But before you do that, what do you have to do? Stop it. Where is it spilling from? That's the key question. Before you start bringing out the cleaning you know, strategies, you got to bring out the stopping strategies. You got to find where the leak is and you got to move as fast as you can move to stop the flow of oil. Well, this is what this passage is saying. Sin begins in the heart. That is the leak in your life. Potentially, right? That's the leak in my life, potentially. That's the place where if poison starts to, to occur in me, I know where it's coming from. It's nobody else's fault. I can't pass the blame. I need to squarely look it in the eye that I have an inward heart problem. I have have a spill of the poison of sin coming out through my life. The Bible makes it clear. We should guard our hearts above all else. That's the way it says it in the book of Proverbs. Guard your heart above all else because everything you do flows out of your heart. Jesus put it this way. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, and out of the heart of man comes all the things that defile human beings. Everything that hurts people, every sin that wrecks people's lives, whether it's, whether it's adultery or whether it's murder or whether it's hatred or, or whatever it is, it flows out of the sin-sick human heart. And Jesus came into the world to teach us about that and also to address the problem at that point. Jesus doesn't come and just say, hey, let me make you appear religious. Let me make you appear loving and appear like a good person. He comes and says, let me put my finger on the leak in your heart. Let me put my finger where the poison is flowing out and let me heal it. Oh, if Amnon had only stopped to think about this. If only he had been more honest with himself. But, of course, we see as the story goes on, there's no honesty in Amnon. There's no desire to admit his own fault or his own responsibilities even. In fact, this morning I want to help you by giving you a few questions, actually four, that you can ask yourself constantly in your life in order to gauge where your heart is and what may or may not be coming out of there. I've got to ask these questions too. First is this, what do you allow yourself to look at? Remember we talked about with David, his sin, the eyes saw 
the woman bathing, and then the heart inquired, and then the action to take her took place. Satan came in through the eye gate. Remember I talked about that? There's an eye gate that he comes in through. Well, it's the same thing, like father, like son. Amnon saw his sister. Amnon nursed the lust. Then he acted to take. That's the way it always goes. What are you looking at? I know it might sound fuddy-duddy, it might sound old school, that there are just some things you ought not to be looking at. But I'm telling you this morning, Scripture encourages you, there are some things you ought not to be looking at. They will feed nothing good in your soul. They will actually darken your heart. Another question you can ask is, what are you dwelling on in your mind? What are those things that your mind goes to and you begin to plan and plot? Are they good things or are they, are they bad things? Third question. What are you desiring in your life? It's always important to watch your desires. Uh, all desires aren't bad, but desires can be very powerful, and they can be either good or bad. What am I desiring? Another question is, is there anything in my life that I'm desiring so much it's tormenting me? Because if you've reached that point where you're making yourself sick over something that God hasn't given you, you're in trouble. I want to warn you, you're in trouble. I don't care what it is. It may not be something as bad and gross as this, but whatever it is, you're in trouble because that thing has captured your heart away from the Lord, and it will not lead you to any good place. Guard your heart. Amnon didn't do that. Lust took, a, took him on a trip that maybe he wasn't even prepared to go on, and yet by the time he gets there, he's a very willing and very ugly participant in what he is going to do. Uh, to his sister, his dear half-sister. Wow. Now that leads us to our second thing. Not only does sin start in the sinful heart, but I want you to see the true colors of sin. Sin destroys, although it appears like it doesn't. Um, notice in verse 3, there's another word that's used facetiously in verse 3. It had already said that uh, Amnon loved Tamar. Yeah, right, right. We know that that's not true. Here it says that Amnon had a friend. Yeah, right, right. Again, the word's being used very loosely. This jo uh, Jonadab, who was not only Amnon's, quote, friend, it was also his cousin. It describes him there in verse 3 as a very crafty man, and that's not meant in a good way. Right? The word crafty <clears throat> excuse me, can mean wise, and that's a good thing, but this doesn't mean wise. This means he's devious. Uh, this man knows how to get what he wants. Uh, there are other stories later in the Bible that prove that about Jonadab. And so he comes to Amnon uh, with supposedly friendly advice, but it's terrible advice. He says, son of David, verse 4, why are you going around so sad? Why so haggard? Don't you know you're the son of the king? If there's something you want that you haven't gotten, just go get it. You're the prince. Well, Amnon shares the dirty secret. I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. And Jonadab, instead of being a true friend, instead of saying, wait a minute, hold right there. Stop. Did you just say what I thought you said? That's not good, Amnon. Back off of that. Take a different path. Instead of that, what does Jonadab do? Encourages and affirms and even enables his sin. Listen, now this is, 
especially important for any, any of y'all young people who are here, but it's important for all of us older people too. Sin can always find an enabler if it wants to. Always. You don't have to look far. There are many friends, quote unquote, that you can find who will just absolutely applaud you and encourage you as you selfishly choose yourself to destruction. Right? That is not the kind of friends you need. You do not need those friends. Uh, I know it feels good in the moment to have someone say, Woo, good idea. I love what you're saying, and you're a great person, and you, you've got the right idea. That feels good, but it's not good when you end up following through with it, and that friend suddenly backs off while he watches you go up in flames. That's what Jonadab does, by the way, in the story. He just steps back and watches Amnon implode. And watches Tamar destroyed because of his terrible advice. And yet, Amnon falls right in the trap. He does what he says. He pretends to be sick. He has his sister brought to him. His sister does her sisterly duty and bakes these cakes and helps to nurse Amnon back to health. But Amnon, the snake in the grass that he is, grabs a hold of his sister, overpowers her, and it tells us in verse 14, he violates her. The sin is committed. The treachery is complete. Because Amnon found a voice to enable him in his selfishness. Listen, what you need in your life are real friends. And here's what a real friend is. A voice that will call you to righteousness. A real friend is someone who doesn't mind offending you a little bit to tell you you're destroying yourself. Right? That's what a real friend is. In fact, if we're going to look for a real friend in this story, who's the only one being a real friend to Amnon? Tamar. And that, that makes Amnon's behavior all the more terrible. Because here's Tamar the whole time trying to talk him away from this terrible thing. She says to him first, no, brother. This is in verse 12. No, my brother, do not violate me. Don't do this. I, I know what you're trying to do. Don't do it, please. This isn't good. It's not good for you and it's not good for me. It's an outrageous thing. It's, it's the kind of thing that should not ever be done in Israel. God's people shouldn't even have to, to, to mention this kind of unspeakable act let alone do it. In fact, it's outrageous, Amnon. The word outrageous there means extraordinarily wicked, just unbelievably wicked. What you're doing is unbelievably wicked. If you do it, I'm going to be filled with shame, and where can I carry my shame, she asks in verse 13. And as for you, if you did this, you would be an outrageous, an unspeakably wicked fool in Israel. Do you really want that to happen? Don't you see Tamar is the only voice of reason. Offering herself as a true friend to her brother, and yet, here's what sin does. It promises good appearances, and it delivers the knife. And Amnon delivered the knife, the sword, right into her sister's soul. This girl, who by all accounts seems to be a very strong woman, throughout this story, she shows tremendous strength and courage. 
and yet is betrayed in the most personal way by one of the most personal people in her life. If you want to listen to somebody in this story, listen to Tamar. If you want to know about sin, listen to Tamar. In fact, let me, while I'm at it, let me say this. Let's listen to all the Tamars. God does not silence injured people. And we shouldn't either. It's too easy to do that, isn't it? To say, hey, just don't talk about that. That's, I don't want to hear about that. That's too hard to hear about. That's too painful. No. We need to hear from those who have, who have felt the brunt of sin from other people. And all of us have some story like that where we could tell about how somebody's sin has wrecked us and hurt us at some point in our life. We need to actually hear that and talk about that in, in appropriate places, yes. Not, not every place is an appropriate place, but in appropriate places we need to talk about that. So why? So that we won't believe sin's lie. If you listen to someone who's been hurt by it and wrecked by it, you'll know what it's really after. It says to you, hey, come, let's have a good time. Let's have some pleasure. Let's get what we want. Let's live our best life now. But really what it's doing is it's trying to wreck you like a tornado, blow up everything in your life and everybody around you, and you won't be able to stop the ripples. And you can't know that if you're never willing to listen to people that you've hurt or that have been hurt or if you've never even really been able to be honest about how you've been hurt, you won't know what sin is really doing in our lives. How often have we been duped by selfishness? I can't list the number of times I've been duped by my own selfishness. Maybe you're with me. Here's one way to get unduped. Remember the pain that it causes. Remember the hurt that you just can't control. That's the second thing. Sin is not only <clears throat> something that begins in the heart. Sin is a crafty destroyer. But I want us to think, this is where we're going to think about a few hopeful things. What's the response that's needed in this story? Tamar runs out of the room. In fact, she's made to run out of the room in verse 15. <clears throat> By the way, true colors of sin here. Uh, verse 15, Amnon hated her with a very great hatred so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And ain't that the truth? About all these kinds of situations where people use and abuse people, they hate them after they've used them and treat them like objects. And that's true really of sin in general, not just this kind of sin. All sin pretends to love you, pretends to have your best interest at heart, turns it on you, and leaves you to pick up the pieces. Here she is tearing her dress, putting ashes on her head, crying out in absolute devastation. It's like the tornado has touched down in her life, and you've seen the pictures of tornadoes. Everything has blown up. And somebody needs to step in and do what? Restore, defend, help. Does anybody? Sadly, no. The two people in her life that could have and should have, Absalom, her brother, David, her father, and the king, do nothing. 
Verse 20, her brother Absalom found her running away, crying, and said, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? See, he, kind of, he already knows Amnon, what kind of guy he is. Has he been with you? Hold your peace, my sister. Don't talk about this. Don't cry about this. He's your brother. Don't take it to heart. Let's keep it in the family. Let's, let's try to deal with it in a contained way. Let's, let's not make a big deal and, and stop crying while you're at it. And it goes on to tell us, this is so sad, in verse 20, Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. She was locked in her brother Absalom's house like a cage and told not to speak and told not to address her hurts. What does Absalom do? In verse 22, he just starts hating Amnon in the background. He won't say anything to Amnon. He just hates him. And over the period of two years, it tells us in the rest of the chapter, he plots Amnon's murder. And you might say, well, that's doing something. And it is doing something. But what good does it do? Uh, he tries to cover up a violation of the commandment against sexual immorality by committing a sin of murder. And you really can't cover up one sin with another sin. It's all, that's all Absalom's got. What about David? We might think, all right, David, David's a strong man. He fought Goliath. Verse 21, when King David heard all these things, he was very angry. Okay, good. Absalom and David are angry. Oh, rightfully so. They better be angry. This sort of stuff should make us angry. What does it say in, the, in verse 21 that David did in his anger? It's a trick question because there's nothing. David was very angry, period. We know he does nothing. He does not do anything. Even though he's the dad who should defend his daughter and should bring discipline to his son, and even though he's the king who actually has been given the responsibility of public justice for the whole nation, he's the one that runs the courts. He ought to be active on both fronts, and yet all he is is angry and does nothing, leaving Tamar desolate. Speculations have been given over the years as to why David did this. Some say, well, maybe David's just brokenhearted over choosing between his son and his daughter, and he, he's paralyzed by his love for everybody involved. Maybe that's true. Other people speculate, well, David has just done a terrible thing himself, Maybe he's lost the moral high ground and he doesn't think anybody's going to respect his decisions anyway because he's guilty too, so he just keeps it under the radar. I don't know what it is, but at any rate, David does nothing. And Tamar's left desolate. At the end of this story, there is a gaping hole that represents the shape of the needed response to sin, whether it's sin that you commit or whether it's sin that's committed against you. Now, I want us to think about what does the shape of that hole look like and who can fill it? Who can fill it? First of all, I'll say this. Absalom should have done better. David should have done better. We should do better than this when people in our lives are hurt in this manner. The Bible says 
God gave discipline to men and women for their protection and for their good. He says it this way in the Bible. To the home is given the rod. Parents are given the rod. Now, don't be scared by that. I know that sounds scary. The rod stands for discipline. It stands for your ability and your calling to correct the faults in your children for their good so that they don't continue in their selfishness. We, when we see things like this in our kids, when we see things, selfishness beginning to run rampant in our kids, the rod is what we ought to use. I'm not talking about physical, you know, abuse. I'm talking about loving discipline to your children. The Bible says to the church have been given the keys. The home has the rod. The church has the keys. This is the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That means we are to shut the kingdom against those who are unrepentant in sin. That means when someone is hurt or abused in the church, there ought to be no cover-ups. And there ought not to be kid gloves used against those who are continuing to hurt people. It ought to be the voice of God's rebuke against that sin, a call to repentance. And if repentance is not there, the person should be put out of the church and out of the kingdom of heaven so that they can repent. To the civil government, the Bible has given the sword. I'm quoting directly from the Bible. The home has the rod, the church has the keys, the state or the government has the sword. That means justice. Our civil government should do better than David did. We ought to long for that. There are some of us in our church who work in the legal realm. This is a really important job to take, a job to have, where you are actually helping defend the weak and to stand up for the weak. We can do better. Here at our church, we're, as elders, reading through a report that was released a few years back by our denomination about domestic abuse and sexual assault. It makes for very difficult reading, but we've been looking at it, praying through it, and updating our policies and thinking about how we can be better pastors, better helpers in circumstances just like the one we're reading about this morning. Pray for us in that. Support us in that. It's very important. And wherever you're at, whether you're a parent, whether you're someone who does work in the legal realm, defend the weak. God hears the weak. God loves the weak. Defend them. But even if we do all of that, let me tell you this, even if we did our best, there would still be some kind of gaping hole because the wound of sin is just too deep for a human hand to heal. Hopefully it's not as big as the one Absalom and David left, but there will still be some kind of hole. The question that Tamar asks in verse 13 will still be the question that people ask. Where can I carry my shame? Where can I go with my guilt? Where can I go with my sin? And let me tell you this morning what the gospel presents. It presents us with a brother. A brother better than Absalom. Jesus Christ, the Son of God who became a man like me and you. So that he could be our elder brother defending us, washing away our shame, taking away our guilt on the cross, and standing to our defense. Jesus, the elder brother, covers with his arms all the Tamars of his church. Make no mistake about it. He loves and he stands and he embraces with a healing embrace. Let me tell you that in the gospel, there is a greater father than David was. 
Praise God. That Jesus came to clothe us with his righteousness so that we could be adopted into God's family. And God is our father ultimately. Even when our earthly fathers fail us, God will not fail us. God the Father counts our tears in a bottle, it says, and he won't let any one of them be wasted. And he will always, always heal things that have been broken either by our own sin or the sins of those against us. And let me tell you this morning about a better king. Because that's who Jesus is. He's not only an elder brother, he's a king. He reigns. And why does he reign? He reigns to stand for us. He reigns to intercede for us. Sinner who has hurt other people, Jesus can take away the guilt. Person who has been sinned against and hurt and wrecked, Jesus can take your shame. Where can you carry it? Carry it to Jesus. Carry it to Jesus. When Stephen was being stoned in the New Testament, and his body was being abused by others, and he couldn't control it, it says he looked up to heaven, and what did he see? Jesus standing over him. Jesus standing as king, watching over to care. Wow. Listen. The lesson of this very difficult story is so important to hear. I know it doesn't make for easy listening this morning. And let me tell you, it didn't make for easy preaching. But it's so important to know that sin doesn't just hurt you. Selfishness is not benign. It's malignant. It'll kill you and cause damage in the process. We as people have to do better by the Holy Spirit to meet people in their pain and in their need than we see here. And at the end of the day, all of us need to be looking steadily at our brother, our father, our king, our friend. We need to be helping one another to Jesus. There are times when people like Tamar are so desolate they don't have faith for themselves to go to Jesus. We need to carry them to Jesus. Carry them, because that's the only place where ultimately this kind of deep hurt can meet its match. Amen?